Welcome, everyone, to another special edition of the Our Strange Skies podcast. In this episode, we're going to talk about an obscure abduction account from the Yukon, of all places. And I, I felt like I couldn't do this one alone, so uh, I back for a third time. I'm joined by Rich Adam. Rich, how you doing, buddy? How do I get dragged into these things? You have uh, pegged yourself as kind of like... The, the abduction guy that I go to when I feel like I can't do this alone. Just when the nightmares stop, you send me some weird-ass, you know, uh, here, read these articles, everything will be fine. <laughs> then I start reading them, I'm like, oh, okay, this is your typical. And then just something happens, we get to a point, and I'm like, okay, well, the nightmares are going to start again. Well, I-, I tried to keep it brief. These articles weren't that long. <laughs> No, no, they weren't. They weren't. They, they, they cut right to the chase. This, this was a good one. Yeah, yeah. This, uh, this is what uh, has been dubbed the North Canal Road abduction, and this incident goes back to September of 1987, and uh, this is when abductions are hitting their kind of stride at this point because, uh, and especially in uh, American culture, you know, Whitley Strieber had published Communion. Uh, in February, I think, of that year. And I do believe at this point, Bud Hopkins Intruders had also come out. Uh, which, oh, right. Yeah, which uh, we'll, we'll eventually cover uh, both of these stories. And, and I'm sure I'll have you on, you know, just to just to keep the nightmares going. Exactly. Good. All <laughs> right. Um, so, so how are you doing, man? I mean, I'm glad we're talking anyway, since we're both on lockdown, like yeah. the rest of the world. Yes. You know, I'm, I'm doing good. Uh, not, <laughs> the nice thing about being an introvert is not a lot has changed for me. I still go to work <laughs> <laughs> right now. Uh, but, uh, you know, uh, I, I don't, I don't try to go anywhere most of the time. So, you know, so wait a second. Now, are you, st- so you're still going to work, I guess, like like you're allowed to, or how does it, where, where is it you're going? Uh, I work in a nursing home, so we're still, oh, we're still right. going full speed. Yeah. How's everybody doing there? I mean, are people really, you know, getting scared? Yeah, a little bit. Uh, the uh, governor has uh, put out an order stating that if they basically run out of uh, hospital rooms, they have to ship people that have tested positive for COVID-19 to our nursing home, uh, which is a really, really bad decision. But, you know, we're... Uh, well, yeah. Yeah, we're all Because isn't it, it just going to put other people... I mean, yeah. the other people there, I assume, are at pretty high risk. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, so uh, we're all kind of a, a little nervous about that. But uh, other than that, you know, um, you go to work... You continue to wash your hands a lot and wear a mask, and that's about it. 
So you're just going to work and then going back home. Yeah, I try to, I don't, the only other place I go to is a grocery store when I need to. Yeah, well, my life is, is weirdly different and weirdly the same because I'm at home, so I'm not driving out to a writer's room. But what they've done is we were supposed to start filming Titans season three uh, on Monday. Mm-hmm. That was going to be our first day of production on the new season. And, of course, that's not going to happen now. So what they've done is they, they've shut down production in Toronto. So that's totally on hold. We probably won't go into production for four, five, six months. I mean, it'll be late summer. That's my guess, at least. Mm-hmm. And then um, – but then meanwhile, we're doing virtual, we're doing a virtual writer's room. So every day at one o'clock, we all hit a link and we all, all of our faces come up like, uh, like Hollywood squares. <laughs> <laughs> and and all, all the writers, like, uh, like some of them know how to do, like they can just do different backgrounds and they yeah. can just select a picture or an image. So depending on what we're talking about, like someone will make a diehard joke. And then suddenly that, that, that iconic image of Bruce Willis in the air vent with, <laughs> with his lighter <laughs> will come up behind somebody, you know, I love it. <laughs> and then, and then those of us like me who haven't figured out how to access that, that, uh, that, um, you know, uh, that that particular app, uh, I just sort of move around my office so that I've got a different background in my office. So it's either Mothman Prophecies poster, or it's my bookshelf, or it's a poster from you know uh, the Maltese Falcon from France, or something like that. Just just to sort of keep things interesting. But uh, but yeah, every day we meet from like one to five, and we take ten minute breaks, and it's like, what the hell? This is so weird. Like it's possible we can do it. But it's a weird feeling. It's 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 not quite as much fun as being in a room together. Yeah, I, I can understand. It's good that you change it up every, every now and then. So, I mean, at least you're bringing something different to the table. Show off those books, man. Show off that poster. I like to hear it. <laughs> yeah, well, it's just like anything to keep us from going nuts. Um, and then and then some of our writers have gone uh, have gone home to to sort of be with their families in the Midwest because they've got older people and their parents need help. And so early on, they were just like, you know what, if I have to be locked down, I might as well go to where the people are going to need me. So they're like, they're like locked up in a basement room in Des Moines or something like that. <laughs> and, 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 and so everyone just has to, you know, we're all checking in on each other. And I, it's, it's a weird new reality. It, it's definitely, uh, like, like again, some things totally the same, and then other things drastically different. Yeah, uh, that's uh, that's the world where that we're in. But uh, you know, still aliens can bring us together, and that's what they're doing today. Hey, <laughs> dude, you know people need their podcasts now more than ever. You're uh, yeah, yeah, suddenly the the world is playing right into your hands. <laughs> Yeah, the uh, World Podcasting Syndicate is uh, definitely (laughs) in full force right now. Uh, (laughs) So, uh, our our story... Wait a second, but you bring up something... Well, well, hold on, before you even start with the story, then, now think about this. Think about what we're talking about. Yeah. Like, most uh, most abduction stories take place, someone is driving down a lonely road, and then there's an abduction, right? Yeah. 
or or they're or they're in the woods or something. Now, okay, if everyone in the world practically is on lockdown, how is this going to change? Like in six months, are we going to get sort of a different handful of abduction stories? Man, that's a good question. You you never know. I mean, people are isolated. They're uh, they're, yeah. they're, they're open targets for this, man. Well, I mean, it's like there's people, there are like a lot of truck drivers, you know, truck drivers are still doing their thing, Mm -hmm. but there's just fewer people driving on the roads. So I wonder if, uh, if the aliens are going to have to like, just start plucking people up out of supermarkets, you know, or hospitals or, I mean, I mean, I wonder if it will material, if we're going to get fewer reports, people aren't outdoors as much. So they're not looking up as much into our strange skies what are, I mean, will reports uh, decrease? You know, it's a it's a good question. People, yeah, they're staying inside. I don't I don't know if they're uh, really going outside at night or anything like that to just like look up or anything. But uh, I guess we'll see. I think the number of reports is going to dip a little bit, just because. Yeah, I would think, right? Yeah, that's probably got to happen. I wonder. Well, I think uh, now. Have you thrown the uh, gates open and just told people to get in touch with you if anything strange ever happens to them? They are more than welcome to drop me an email, ourstrangeskies at gmail dot com. I will be glad to hear your stories. Absolutely. Okay. Good. Okay. Good. So, so people, if anything strange happens, get in touch with Rob. Uh, whoever's listening right now, just it's probably you, me, Scott Forrest, and the uh, editors of Forty and Times, and that's uh... <laughs> oh yes, <laughs> that was a nice surprise. Uh... <laughs> oh my god, that blew me away! I couldn't fucking believe it. I know. Uh, I I haven't even mentioned that on my podcast before until this moment. I I haven't even uh, yeah bothered, but. Yeah, the podcast would re- was reviewed in 40 times, and that was a wild I- experience. <laughs> it was so weird. I'm literally just, you know, I mean, it's a British magazine. I get it, you know, uh, how many weeks late. And then the issues stack up. And then uh, w- one day I'm just going through, and they do this new thing in the in the back pages where they review podcasts. So I'm like, oh, that's interesting, you know. But the, the podcasts I haven't heard of, and I, you know, I don't have a broad knowledge of them. But then suddenly I turn, and it's like, our strange skies. And I'm like, wait a second, Rob didn't tell me this. So I get in touch with you, and you're like, what? <laughs> yeah, he didn't tell me. <laughs> oh man. This review's been on the stands worldwide for months. <laughs> no one bothers to pick up the phone. Hey, Rob, guess what? You made the 40 in times. I know. Like This is like a monumental achievement. And yeah, I, I, I went months without even knowing. God damn. <laughs> oh, Lord. Well, clearly you need a subscription. That's the first thing. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to have to work on that. <laughs> All right. Well, I sent you my copy, so there you go. Yes, I, I greatly appreciate that. Yes. You know, I, the pages, pages are all wrinkled. There's food stains, but what the hell? It's, uh, it's got a sentimental attachment to it, so, uh, you know. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So the, the, the story today goes back to September 2nd. It starts September 2nd, 1987. 
And the experiencer in this case is a man only known by the name of Kevin. We don't know his real name. It's a pseudonym given to him by uh, UFO investigator Martin Jassick, who is kind of the preeminent investigator for cases in British Columbia. And this case took about 13 years to kind of make it to the public light, and even then it doesn't have a like a big name to it. It's kind of like a minuscule amount of information on a couple different websites, but uh, I found it interesting for, for a couple of reasons. One being that this is a daytime abduction case, which is very rare. It's not something uh, you usually see, but also it's just in the like one of the most remote areas possible. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's perfect. It's perfect. He was on the perfect, they should just call that, North Canal Road should be called Abduction Road. Yes, it is Abduction Road. <laughs> it's like the equivalent, it's like the equivalent of all those, like the um, uh, uh, Southwestern abduction stories where people are driving through the desert, which is, you know, those roads are ridiculously remote. And and so this is the the Pacific Northwest, you know, Yukon region equivalent where where this guy it, it just feels like there weren't any people within, you know, twenty five miles of him at any point. Yeah. Our guy here, Kevin, he was setting out on a hunting and fishing trip in an area near Sheldon Lake and Mac Pass. He was, uh, he's from Ross River, and Ross River is a beautiful, uh, beautiful place. I've seen pictures of it. It's very, you know, remote, beautiful mountains, uh, some rivers and such. So uh, just really pristine wilderness, you know, very forested. And he was heading toward a trailer that was located in a place called Dewhurst Creek. On the morning of September 2nd, you know, Kevin, he was in good spirits. He loved going on trips like these, and he, and he used a dirt bike to navigate the roads that uh, were formerly used uh, essentially to, for a pipeline. From the moment that he set out, the weather changed instantly. It The temperature dropped, uh, it started to drizzle, and then uh, transformed into a great big downpour. Right. At at one point, he has to stop and change his clothes before he makes it to this trailer by dusk. It takes him pretty much all day to get there. As he gets there, the, the rain kind of subsides a little bit, and then the sun broke through. He started a fire, cooked his dinner, and pretty much went to bed. (laughs) <laughs> this is already a nightmare for me. Yeah, like... See, it, I'm not, you know, a motorbike, it's raining, I've got to make a fire, I've got to change my... Cl- this is... I, I'm, I'm out. Already. I'm out. Right, right, yeah. No, we, we can't we can't handle this kind of nature, you know, no. adventuring. It's it's not in the cards right here. We we don't do this kind of stuff. And Well, not... But, yeah, I, I've made it very clear. For me, roughing it is uh, staying in a hotel where room service ends at midnight. <laughs> oh, Rich. <laughs> there, there are no dirt bikes in my life, okay? I've, I've worked too hard to, to achieve an existence where a dirt bike is not required. Okay. I can respect that game, Rich. 
I mean, look, to each his own. I don't hunt moose. I will eat moose if it's on the menu, but that's it. I wouldn't, dude, those things are huge. I wouldn't want to go toe-to-toe with them. Like, No, you, they like, are big. Yeah, they are. Sometimes they come on down here uh, and just stand in the middle of the road. They're not really phased by much. They'll they'll just stand there and do whatever they want for as how long they want to. And Lord knows, if you try to hit the thing, you're going to do more damage to your car than you are to the moose. So, oh right. And so you're like you see like how often do you see a moose where it's, you live? It's not that often. Usually, there's like a couple of reports a year of people seeing moose on the road. Oh, okay. But, but yeah, where I live is like right in between forests of the Adirondacks, you know, we're right in the mountains. So it's not oh uncommon. God. It's not uncommon to see deer just walking down the street at three in the morning. Right. Well, you know, weirdly enough, I mean, I see that too right here in Los Angeles and yep. coyotes and stuff like that. But, you know, it's funny now that you say it, though, I did see a moose once, The like one of the very few times I did anything outdoorsy. I was in Jackson Hole, Wyoming uh, with my wife, Susan, and it was, you know, deepest, darkest January. And we decided, OK, well, we're here and it's freezing cold and they're offering a dog sled rides. <laughs> <laughs> so so, you know, we got to do that. Right. Yeah. So we do the dog sled rides and uh, and, you know, it takes us I don't, I don't know where up, you know, in some, you know, back roads or something. But uh, at a certain point, the guy who's who's, you know, conducting the dogs uh, stops and he's like, OK, the dogs are freaking out. There's something up there. And of course, I'm hoping it's Bigfoot. <laughs> I'm like, finally, finally. So suddenly this thing that looks enormous uh, sort of trudges ahead of us, but like like 25 yards ahead of us uh, from one side of this really narrow path through the woods to the other side. And like so large that your brain struggles for a second to even put it into context yeah like is that a vehicle or is it a like what is that but it was we were seeing a moose and then its antlers that go up you know another five feet above its head so these things are bigger than you expect oh yeah they're like most of the time when you see them like even the young ones are like i don't know like probably close to four and a half feet tall so uh, yeah. when, you see, when they're all adult and grown, yeah, they're taller than me, so. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, they're, I mean, this thing, I mean, it was over, like, like from, it was like 12, it had to be 12 feet to the tip of its antlers, if not more. But anyway, it comes across and I'm like, well, okay, so it's a moose. And the guy's like, no, 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 this is really bad because if the, if the dogs get near the moose, the moose will just assume that they're wolves and he'll start stomping them to death. Yeah, 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 that's a problem. <laughs> yeah, and I'm like, wait, that's what it would do to a wolf? It's like, oh, yeah, no, a wolf can't, you know, I mean, unless a moose is really sick or injured or something, a wolf doesn't stand a chance against a moose. It'll just stomp them. Yeah. So so our friend uh, Kevin, who's uh, uh, up there in the Yukon hunting moose, he, he's got a pretty big gun with him at all times. Yes, he does. He's got it packed on that dirt bike. You know, with all the supplies. 
in case he sees any any moose or any uh i don't know like some grasshopper people something like that yeah you know that's <laughs> that's very foreboding and ominous and uh i like that you're setting the stage here i i i respect that <laughs> <laughs> it's what i do it is it is uh so yeah the next morning you know he wakes up the rain has finally stopped it's damp outside, but, you know, Kevin loads his bike up with his supplies, and he sets out toward Mac Pass, which is where he's going to hunt for the day. So he rides along North Canal Road at roughly 10 miles an hour to keep from wrecking his bike. Uh, so the Canal Road was uh, an abandoned kind of World War II project that basically sought to connect an oil pipeline from the Northwest Territories to the Yukon. They still kind of maintain the roads during the summer, but they're not paved masterpieces. They're dirt roads, but the uh, Yukon government does the best that they can to maintain it. But there are stretches of remote roads. It's I, I think it's like over 200 miles long. Yeah, and it looks really beautiful, and and it's sort of... It's up a little bit, so even though there's trees and stuff and bushes on the side of the road, it looks like where he was, you could sort of see out across a valley and then, you know, snow-covered mountains in the distance. It's like there's 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 a decent amount of visibility. Yeah, the road that he's on, he can see white mountain peaks, yeah, valley slopes, and as he's traveling along, he briefly stops to relieve himself, and was... At this kind of time that uh, this weird, unexplained fit of anxiety and unease sets in. And, you know, he starts looking around the surrounding trees and the roadside to see if, you know, there's something that, uh, you know, an animal of some kind that he's not picking up or anything like that. But nothing initially stuck out to him. But the moment that he put his kickstand back down again and searched up and down the road, out of the corner of his left eye, he spotted a reflection of some kind. And at first, looking at it, it kind of resembled a DC-3 plane. It was about uh, 1,200 feet away from him, and it was kind of hovering a little low. He was saying it was probably around 70 feet in the air, just above the treetops. Yeah, that's pretty low. Yeah, that is. Uh, but he couldn't see a tail fin or any kind of wings on this thing. It was just this elongated shape that was green on the top and bottom. Uh, he called it a, a cigar-shaped object. And it in the center of this thing, it was kind of like uh, you know two objects meeting tied in the center with like a belt or something and it had portholes around the outside edge of this thing right but pretty classic ufo yeah yeah pretty much that's uh, something you definitely see in the 50s and 60s and stuff in fact the only thing the weirdest thing to me about what he saw was that he described the craft itself as being uh dark green yeah, which is not a common color associated no. with these objects. You know, normally it's like black or silver or, you know, a dull gray or something like that. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah, this one sticks out. And uh, what he notes is that this object, when it moves, uh, at certain points, it almost dematerializes and then reforms as it's oh, moving. Oh, right. 
That's when Kevin starts to get really antsy about what he's seeing. But he also remembers that he has a camera in his pocket, too. He went to retrieve it from his coat pocket, but he never used it. He got this kind of feeling that came over him, this calm feeling that was just, don't worry about it, this this is fine. But he also started to feel like this thing didn't want to be seen. So he goes and he takes refuge behind these tall grasses by the roadside he's looking at this object and it starts to move off past these groups of trees in this uh, valley he sits there for a while till he thinks this thing is gone he was confident that this thing uh, it couldn't have seen him it could not have seen him but you know that that's just the cocky nature uh sometimes <laughs> you think this thing can't see you but you know what? It can. It's it's got some extraordinary abilities. <laughs> it 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 knows you're there, and uh, it's it's uh it's uh, not done yet. No, it's not done yet. Like this UFO, it's like Santa Claus, and you know the green colors kind of fitting. If there was some red in there, probably be better. But at least you know Christmas tree colors. You know he can see you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. And he just happens to have a UFO, so. Yeah. <laughs> and he lets you know you don't need to take any pictures. No, no, no pictures. We don't need conclusive proof that this exists. But he goes back out on the road. He's looking up and down, and he's he's confident he's going to ride off. But he hears what he describes as a loud thump, like uh, uh, the trunk on a car being closed. And he immediately spins around, kind of slowly approaches up the road a little bit. And he comes around a little bend here, and, he, and he's expecting to see, like, a vehicle or somebody pulled over on the side of the road that's going to be hunting. And instead, he came face-to-face with what he described as, quote, two gray creatures in blue jumpsuits, about five feet tall, with big insect-looking heads, pointy faces, big eyes, thin arms, body, and legs, end quote. At this distinct moment, he, in his head, called them grasshopper people. And and Kevin was not intimately familiar with alien sightings and UFO sightings and, and stuff like that. He no. thought, he, he had this distinct image of little green men in his head. These beings essentially look like those kind of mantis beings that are described uh, in many abduction accounts, except like they almost seem like smaller, streamlined, almost like uh, the mantis crossed with the with a gray, in a way. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that is kind of what it sounded like. And, and that's kind of weird because you, I've never heard of that before. This is not uh, normally. It's the it's the grays that are coming. They're, they're coming to get you. But this time, the Gray's got some henchmen that are going to do it for him. <laughs> I respect that. Yeah, they, they, they send those guys down to do the manual labor, and they wait upstairs for the uh, examination in the air-conditioned UFO. Yeah, you know, it's temperature-controlled. Got to respect that. You know, it probably took the Gray's that were on there. You know, they had to earn that seniority, and Lord knows, those greys live a long-ass time. So, 
Hot damn. I, I, I can respect that. I wonder what their 401ks were like. And um... <laughs> but, but at this point, he's still, like, every everything he's talking about, he is experiencing as real. Even though he's he's having some strange thoughts that he, you know, interprets later, he, this all feels, this doesn't feel dreamlike to him. This feels like, oh, I'm seeing actual physical things standing in front of me yeah exactly and i i think what's great about this case and and we'll be posting these on online on social media and stuff is that martin jassic i do believe went out there and took pictures of this area it was either martin or it was uh kevin's own pictures and they implemented grasshopper people in in these like showing where they were standing and stuff <laughs> yeah. and uh, you know, what the UFO looked like. So uh, these images are a treat, and I appreciated them. <laughs> you, you know, this story rem- sort of, uh, it sort of reflected a uh, a realization or an epiphany I've had recently about UFO encounters, because when I read about them, they always seem so odd and surreal, you know, like like when I'm reading about them, I feel like I'm I'm hearing someone talk about a dream they had. Yeah. And and then for some reason, I think I have then extrapolated that, oh, they they were sort of in a dreamlike state when this thing happened. And and at certain points, maybe they are. But but what I what I'm trying to remember now is that really, if you just look at the reports they're not dreamlike at all. People are actually really uh, struck by how real it is. And, mm-hmm. and, and they often say things like, oh, I suddenly realized, because like some people see a UFO and they think, oh, well, this must be some sort of military craft I just was never aware of. They're not immediately going, wait, this is totally weird. I'm having a weird supernatural experience. Uh, you know, everything is, you know, I feel strange. They're like, no, this is just another part of my reality that I've never seen before, and it's all very physical. And and I, I forget that. Of course, I've never had an experience, so I don't have any firsthand understanding of what it's like. But when you really think about the way people describe these things when they happen, they're experiencing them as, oh, no, that thing is right there. I'm not dreaming. This is real. And, and it's only, I guess, later when forgotten parts of the encounter come back to them that that things start to feel strange but even those memories are of things that feel very very real not dreamlike when i re- when i'm sitting here right now thinking about the things i dreamed last night th- that doesn't feel real that feels you know foggy and and people don't seem to describe their experiences that way which is, I guess, what makes them so terrifying is that it's like, no, I can't let myself off the hook. This actually did happen. It always seems like there's this line when the abduction is about to take place. There's this moment before when they're definitely seeing whatever they're seeing in front of them. And then there's this other moment where they describe it as either blacking out a dreamlike state like they're kind of uh, a little bit out of it at, at that point but there's always uh, right before it goes down that anchoring experience that most of the time i think lingers with a lot of the experiencers that uh, go through this kind of stuff 
Yeah, but they're but they're they're always it's like there's no separation between real life and the thing happening. And I say no. Yes, of course, there are, you know, we, we can all point at cases where where there was a separation. Somebody entered fog and then something strange happened or whatever. But but I mean, for this guy, he's just, you know, parks his bike goes to take a leak on the side of the road, sees something out of the corner of his eye, sees that it's a UFO, goes to hide. I mean, it's just like he's responding the way you would. And it's funny because he thinks, oh, that's a UFO. They probably don't want me to see it. But there's a guy who's got no experience with UFOs. He's not like you and me, you know, having read, you know, 500 books. Mm. He's just like, these feelings are coming to him as very obvious oh i don't need to take a picture and it's only later that he reflects back going well now wait a second why was it not important for me to photograph a ufo yeah exactly what is it about that moment that somehow it triggers in you this idea these very strange thoughts that are in many ways just like very mundane in their they're outlandish for their inaction they're not outlandish for the the visual things that they're seeing necessarily it's just the most reports aren't about people going and then i saw this thing and i just kept thinking this is insane this is impossible oh my god i'm seeing one of those things from that movie and this can't be happening this can't be happening every once in a while you get that but there there's mostly it seems there's sort of just a plain in-your-face acceptance of the events that are happening. Yeah, and I think one of the weirdest examples of that is on Mike Clellan's blog, the the uh, the owl guy, as they call him, um, the guy that right. really examines synchronicities and owls and the parts that they play in them. There's a story on one of his blogs, and I think it's in like his newest book, with the, which is just this uh, collection of his many blog posts about the experiences that he's had. And sometime in the 90s, there was one night that he was up, I think he was reading in bed or something like that, and he sees a light outside, he gets up, and he goes to the window, and he can see five greys approaching his house. And instead of panicking, he gets back in bed and falls asleep. I love that. I yeah. always love the, 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 the weirdest thing in the world happens, and then you go back to sleep. Yeah. You, you want to know the most startling thing about Mike Clellan? Oh, uh, what? He runs a bed and breakfast in my hometown. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a second. So he lives right near where you are? I don't know if he lives there all the time, but he and his partner have a bed and breakfast in in um, the area, this area where actually my dad used to work. There's a place that's called the uh, American Management Association. It's a uh, company that like sells seminars to other companies and stuff. Okay. He worked there for like uh, 15 or so years, but it's this place called the doctor's Inn. it's a nice little bed and breakfast. I think it's a few miles up the road from where that is, but uh, yeah. Wait it's... a second. So if you wanted to go there, well, how long would it take you to drive there? Uh, probably a half hour. Oh dude, you, you got to get in touch with him. You got to have him on the show. Uh, he he's actually reached out. He wants to come on the show. It's just uh, the oh thing my God. is, yeah, yeah. He um, I I just gotta get through his material, which I just haven't had time to do that yet. But uh, he did reach out. Yeah. 
oh, that's great. Oh, th- th- this is perfect. This was meant to be. Okay, wonderful. I'm very excited. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'll uh, I'll have to hit him up again soon. Uh, but uh, <laughs> and and tell him how he uh, he he's a little too close to me, but that's okay. We'll get we'll get over it. <laughs> um so (laughs) but i mean he's so so like of the experiences that he has he's having them a half an hour away from your house not all the time but do you know who ryan sprague is he he hosts uh he in in a chapter in his book uh somewhere in the skies he goes to the doctor's inn on a weekend retreat and there's an experience that he has there and i don't ever want to go there because of that experience Well, hey, look, just because, you know, he gave it a bad Yelp review, (laughs) that doesn't mean you're going to have the exact same experience. You Uh, always got to keep that in mind. I'm just saying, not really wanting to put myself in the line of fire in that way. Rob, you're already in the line of fire. You're living up in the middle of nowhere in, you know, the center of New York. I mean, that's like UFO Central. It's like a highway. You might as well be living in Area 52. Yeah, but there is an Area 52. Where's Area 52? It's Area 52 is what they call Dugway Proving Ground. Oh, well, then you're uh, Area, you know, uh, 69. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. That's... <laughs> okay. Ladies, ladies and gentlemen, now now you're really getting a look at the... <laughs> At the, at the level of people you're dealing with. I'm going to change my Twitter bio to resident of Area 69 when we get done with this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. So, um, yeah, uh, Kevin, he's confused. He's standing in the middle of the road. He's taking in everything that's around him. He's definitely experiencing it in real time. And then the being on the left, because there's two of these beings standing side by side, the one on the left lifts its left arm up and hits him with a flash of light. And yeah. in the next moment, he's kind of confused. He doesn't know what just happened and he's scared. So he's about to jump on his bike and get out of there. And he notices that his bike is now on the other side of the road. This startles him because he was, like, right next to it moments before. But he goes over to it. He hops onto it. He's about to get the heck out of there. And then he notices that the key is not in the ignition. He starts looking on both sides of the road, uh, just frantically looking for it to get the hell out of there. And then he realizes that he's clenching it in his hand. Now, this happens to me all the time. This mm. is a very human thing. Or, or you're like you're on the phone, but you're looking for your phone. You know? Y- yep. Yeah. Happens so, all you know, the time. Th- 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 this this I, 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 I totally get that feeling. But, um, but, but the weird part is how much time has gone by, right? Yeah. And Kevin's not exactly sure at this moment how much time has gone by. But... He hops on his bike and he hauls ass back to this trailer. He's shaking, he's confused, but for the most part his memory was still intact for what he thought just had happened. And he arrives at the trailer, That he goes inside and he makes himself a pot of coffee. And then he looks outside the window and he realizes that it's dark out now. 
which is very weird because he had set out at like eight o'clock in the morning to go to Mac Pass to do hunting. He was on the road for probably no more than a half hour or so. And this event happens and now it's dark outside. Right. Which, you know, to him, yeah, it's impossible. It could this just couldn't be. So he tries to convince himself that he just must have blacked out. And, you know, he's trying to reckon with this day and, and really just rack his brain. And at that point, a soft humming sound moves into the trailer. And he could feel this vibration in everything that was around them at the time. And it persists for about 10 minutes. And also during this time, Kevin has this strong feeling that uh, his abductors are outside the trailer right now. He was too frightened to go uh, look in the window. But he actually ran to the door, deadbolted it, and just tried to secure himself in there. Right. For the rest of the night, Kevin, it's a, it's a sleepless one for him. And he just drinks cup after cup of coffee. And then... <laughs> and then which, goes to sleep. Uh, well, I, that would be weird if he's drinking cup after cup and he just goes to sleep. I mean, I'm not a coffee drinker, but I know what coffee does. <laughs> but he starts to relive these missing moments in his head. And it's almost like a scene-by-scene scene thing. And right after that flash... He talks about how he's in this, like, dreamlike state. That's the way it feels to him. Right. There's scenery flashing by him, mountains, trees, rivers. And in the next moment, he's waking up. And all he can see in front of him is what he describes as inky blackness. There were other strange sounds uh, occurring around him. But then, all of a sudden, this blackness started to pull back away from him... And he's startled to see that he's staring in the face of what he calls, quote-unquote, gray-type creatures. So, basically, he's looking in the face of a gray alien. Right. So, now, let, let, me, let me press pause for a second and, and go back to the light that flashed from the instrument in the alien's hand. Yeah. The one that was standing by the side of the road, one of the grasshopper people. Mm -hmm. So... So there's there's a couple of levels of of dissociation that that he's experiencing. And when I say dissociation, I just mean there's like level one is he he is standing on the side of the road. He sees a UFO. He hears a sound behind him. He turns. He sees two creatures. OK, so that's like level one. Mm -hmm. But the, the flash of light seems to initiate level two, which is almost like. If, if, we're, if we're talking about hypnosis, he's gone from light hypnosis to deep hypnosis. That flash of light now begins or sort of like that's a little, you know, sort of, uh, you know, mile marker uh, as he enters this next stage, which is the I'm on board the craft stage. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I'm, I'm just, you know, you know how you go through these things and you focus on different things when you hear different stories. But, but, the, but the, the, the flash of light that then initiates another level of, of experience is so common. And, and it's in so many books. In fact, there's a book by Mark Fox called Light Forms, which is all about that. It's just people's weird supernatural experiences 
that are sort of initiated through a light, a flash of light, noticing a light. Um, I, I mean, it, it might be the most common part of of all UFO experiences. You see a light in the sky. And, and of course, his took place during the day, but it still found a way to work light in. A yeah. flash of light and then the experience, the deeper experience. Right. And you got to wonder, and if we're going to circle back to your like theory, which, you know, we, we've kind of got to bring that up. Is that the catalyst for, you know, pulling that ethereal body out of the body? Oh, right. Because, it, because he does, he, he refers to something like that, doesn't he? Yeah, he does. Remember when he says with the feet on the ground, well, you'll get to it in a minute, but that feeling of being stretched. Yes. Uh, I, 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 I think, uh, I, I think my theory is being proven once again. It is, and Rich has uh, has the world adopted your theory yet? Let's uh, let's check in with that. How how has your theory been received by the community? Well, let me tell you. Um, <laughs> I will say that on Twitter and on on Facebook and on Instagram, uh, there has been absolutely nothing. Oh my gosh! And people but still, in- yeah. Well, yes, but in my own personal life, just people who I speak to, people who also nothing. <laughs> oh man! So, uh, so the, the the ripples that I was expecting, the the uh, uh, so far nothing. I I don't get it, man. Like this podcast has reach. I mean, I I got you back on this thing <laughs> yeah, by right? telling you that you had like one of the most popular episodes. You were part of one of the most popular episodes that I've done in like a while, and people well, are still not gravitating to this theory. Look, it's, it you know many many uh, geniuses are not recognized in their own lifetime. So you're saying that when your bones turn to dust, that's when people are going to embrace your theory. Uh, probably, yeah, probably. Okay. Okay. <laughs> you know, I mean, and you know, luckily I will still have a consciousness after death, so I'll be aware of it later. But by then, I won't care because I'll be, you know, in some other weird state of existence, and uh, I'll know all the answers then anyway. I mean, the other answers. I mean, to you know, the even greater mysteries like you know, Loch Ness monster. Right. Yeah. You'll you'll have that. You know, all there. It's. I imagine you'll just wake up and you'll just know it. You won't need to do anything. You'll just automatically know. So, uh, yeah. I, I dig it. I'm looking forward to when your theory becomes mainstream. I hope I'm alive when it happens. Yeah, me too. I mean, just even just you know, you know, shout out from John Tenney at this point would be great. You know, but you know, <laughs> no, no one has just sort of come out and said, "By the way, everyone, it got solved. Had him solved it." So you know, pencils down. Yeah, uh, I'll try to start convincing people to say it. I'll make people take videos of themselves saying it, and I'll, and I'll get them to share them on Twitter and shit. Great, that'd be great. Okay, good. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine if it got solved, how many podcasts would just have to end? Dude, I, I'm fine. Like, this thing, it takes up a lot of my time, so I can go do other things. I'm fine with that. <laughs> my, microphones clicking off all across the globe uh, as as everyone goes, well, that one's done. What's next? I guess we'll talk about cult movies. <laughs> yes. Yes, Absolutely. As we go back to Kevin here, he's uh, he's laying on this table, and then he sits up, and you can see 
three to four grays like moving around the uh, room and one of them says to him there is nothing to worry about and you know it's the typical telepathy in his head and the the communicator that is there to calm him and and it works he feels yeah. very calm he feels okay yeah uh, he asks this being whether they're going to do experiments on him, and the being responds by saying that we've already done them. So that's good. You know, if uh, you have those moments where you could do without the trauma of, uh, you know, experimentation, that's right. good. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it's already done. You slept through it. It's like, uh, you know, it's like, uh, it's like getting, a, you know, your wisdom teeth taken out or a colonoscopy. Right, yeah, because they give you those uh, really wonderful meds that kind of make you loopy, and uh, you say things that you never thought you'd say in your life, and uh, there are some <laughs> people there that, that remind you for the rest of your life that you said them. Yeah, I, I, I've been there a time or two. All right. <laughs> so, who do you bring with you on these things who, who then remind you of them later? Oh, uh, there was a time that I had my stomach scoped. This was uh, 2002, and my mother was with me, and she told me that I was hitting on the nurse that was looking after me, and it was (laughs) not good. It was not good. (laughs) Oh, that's great. Yeah. Classic Rob. Classic Rob. (laughs) You get this guy in a hospital gown, and look out. Dude, I I launder those things every day. I don't want to be near them. I would not want to be in one at all. That's that. That's not the uh, the uh, you know the uh, the starting gun for romance. No, the hospital gown. Okay. No, they're they're a drab green color. They're not very flattering, and uh, you know the the butt just hangs out of them sometimes, and uh, it depends on the ones that you have. But I mean. If you got the ones that are nice and they button in the back, it's a little better than the Thai ones. I'll tell you that much. Well, you know, I'll tell you something weird, though. So, uh, Susan, um, when we had uh, Dashiell, who's now 12 and a half, or mm-hmm. almost 13, um, it was cesarean. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there had been 24 hours of labor, and then finally they're just like, look, we just got to, you know, we just got to do this. So if I'm going to be there, they're like, that's fine, but you've got to put on these scrubs. So I put on the scrubs and we, we go in and they do the, uh, the cesarean and, and Dashiell is born and everything's fine. But, but the weird thing was afterwards, Susan's like, uh, hey, you, uh, you ought to hang on to those scrubs. And I'm like, what? Why? She's like, I'm just saying they work. They work for you. Hang on to the scrubs. I'm like, wait a second, you are giving birth. <laughs> and in the moment that you're giving birth, you're noticing how much you like me in the scrubs. And she's like, hey, all I'm saying is hang on to them. And, and let me tell you, I did. And let me tell you, the scrubs, that's, that's, the, starting, that's the starting gun for romance. Okay. Uh, Rich Adam here. With the uh, romance, you know, advice. This is turning into a romance podcast. We're, we're giving out advice here, and look, you heard I mean, it. You heard it, it from the horse's guy. mouth. Yeah, it's look. I mean, look. I don't know. I never would have thought it, uh, but uh, but now I've got you know. Look, what one more arrow in my quiver, if you will. Yeah, 
I, I respect that game, Rich. And I want you all to get yourself out a, a pen and a piece of paper, write that down, and I want you to go online and see if you can find some scrubs. I mean, they come in a variety of different styles and colors. I mean, you want right. Disney scrubs? They got Disney scrubs. You you want, you know, anything. They got scrubs right. for that. I, I will just say for me, light blue. Light That's blue. What worked. Yep. Yeah. Kind of just the standard what you picture that worked. Yes. So, um, you know, I mean, look, life isn't just aliens and UFOs. You know, there's other things, and uh, <laughs> we're here for you on, on those things too. Yeah, absolutely. We are we are here to fulfill needs. There are people that are dating now over TikTok, and uh, it's great. You know, it's, it's yeah, things are happening. So as Kevin is sitting there on this table. He starts to rub his hands together. He's got this really strange sensation that uh, he can't quite get out of. Later on, after the encounter, he looks down at his hands and he can see what the uh, infamous scoop marks. He's got one in each hand. And uh, we have pictures of this, so we'll be posting those online as well. And they're very symmetrical-looking punch marks. Yeah, but this is the this is the weird part I couldn't understand. Were they were they scars from like where something got scooped out, or were they just weird? Is there something under the skin? It's a little bit hard to tell. And even even when I read all the things about the you know the depute you know deputrins contractions or whatever the condition might be, like I couldn't tell if it was a scar or a mark or something under the skin. What did you think? To me. I, I don't know that it's a scar because, like, they're on both hands and they're perfectly symmetrical. So I don't foresee, like, some kind of event in his life where he would do that to both hands. But, you know, I could be wrong. Yeah, I, I couldn't. I, yeah, it, it was hard to understand exactly what happened. For those of you listening at home, if you if you take, say, your right hand and you hold it up in front of your face and you look at your ring finger and your pinky finger, and then you go down on your hand, sort of in between those fingers, down your palm, to the first line that cuts across horizontally, sort of right at that point is where these these weird indentations are, right? Yep. Yeah, and it's on both hands in the exact same spot. So if you hold two hands in front of your face, you'll get a really good idea of where these marks are. Yep, and... I think the weird thing is, is like you never hear about these scoop marks in the hands. They're never usually no. in the hands. They're usually in like the legs or yeah. maybe like uh, the forearm or something like that. Never in the hands. So, yeah, I've never heard of anyone having any weird, you know, UFO marks or, you know, alien implants in the hands. Kevin would go to a number of doctors to have them you know give their opinions and most of them don't know how he would have gotten those marks because yeah they just don't look like they resemble scars they it's just really weird looking if anything i would think it was something genetic than uh, yeah. anything else but 
again, it's just I've never seen that in a hand before, but we'll we'll let you guys decide. Uh because yeah, we'll be posting those pictures online. Thankfully Martin Jassic was able to get a photograph because like half the time it's it's the simple things of what they could have gotten a photograph of and they never do. Like they could have literally gotten a photograph of the uh circular marks on Betty and Barney Hill's trunk, but nobody seemed to you know, have the wherewithal to do that. <laughs> right. And he said that, you know, he's never uh, had his hands x-rayed no. to see if there's anything in there. And it always surprises me that you can't just get like, like they don't just give you, you can't just walk in and go, Hey, would you x-ray my hand? I'm curious. I think there might be, you know, people are like, no, we, a doctor has to have a reason to give you an x-ray. Yeah. And if you don't need an x-ray, we're not going to give you an x-ray, which is, I, I totally get, but that's always weird. It's like, come on, I'll pay for it. You know, <laughs> how much do you need? 800 bucks, fine. I think just to given the um, trainings I get for my job, I do believe that they would consider it an ethical issue because there is things that HIPAA protects patients from. And one of the things is like unfair billing practices. So a right. doctor may think that, well, this is an unnecessary thing. Why would I do that? It's not like it's, uh, you know, causing any problems or anything like that. But like, if the guy is willing to pay for it, let's just let him get it. Well, if they're requesting it, it feels like there, there should be like a release form or something where it's like, okay, look, you're going to sign a release form where I'm going to say, I do not believe that medically you need an x-ray of your hand. That's not going to save your life. It's not going to, it is not medically indicated but you've requested it and you're going to pay for it. So in this case, I'll say, okay. But maybe that's the problem. Maybe because like if you're a hypochondriac and you just come in and you're like, you want an MRI every week and you can afford it. At a certain point, a doctor's going to say, this isn't good for you, you know? Yeah. Or, or you know, and, and having an x-ray every week of your intestines because you're crazy and just because you're willing to pay for it and sign a release form, no, I'm not going to do it. But I don't know, you'd figure for one x-ray – there's got to be a doctor out there who's into UFOs, right? Well, I mean, Dr. Roger Lear is no longer with us, and I think he was probably the, the only game in town. But, you know, I hope there are other doctors oh, right. out there. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Doctors, if you're out there, get in touch with Rob. Yep. Our strange skies at gmail.com. Just hit me up. And send him, uh, send him a pair of scrubs. Yeah, yeah, scrubs, please. I will wear them around town, and I will, yeah. Hey, t- dude, don't do not do that. I mean, <laughs> I mean you're, you're, you're going to, I mean, like like moths to a flame. You're, you're going to have more action than you can handle. Okay, I'll just wear them around the house. I'll, that'll be fine. But yeah. th- the being then asked Kevin if he would like to see his home planet and Kevin was like, yeah, sure, why why not? So he was led to this weird object that he said kind of resembled a copy machine, and it had a screen on it, and right. the being told him not to touch it. But I just keep picturing in my head, and I, <laughs> and I keep wondering, how many fucking times a day does this thing jam on these aliens? Because if, right. it's a, if it resembles a copy machine, you know that thing's jamming up at least once a day. Right. 
And he asks him not to touch it. I wonder how many other abductees did touch it. And then finally they're like, we got it. People got to stop touching this shit because that's what's causing it to jam. Yeah. Every single time they think they're pressing the right buttons. They're not. They're just pressing the aliens buttons. And you don't want to do that because no. they're the ones they're the ones in control right now. So don't yeah. do it. This like series of dots kind of litters the screen and this alien being points to this really minuscule white dot and he says, that's Earth. And Kevin thinks that this being is lying to him because, you know, Earth is blue. But then the being explains, quote, he explained to me about space and stars, etc. But I can't remember any of it now. (laughs) (laughs) Well, my question is, did did the alien actually point at the thing and say that's Earth, or did he simply say that's your home planet? Because right. maybe the alien is indicating that this guy is is from a different place and does not know that his origins lie somewhere else in the solar system. Right, and like, why was there no follow up? Why didn't he ask him a question about this? Like, they explained space and stars and stuff, but what does that mean? What- yeah. No. How does he that just forgets? Yeah, how does that relate to what you're seeing on the screen? I'm I'm just wondering. Then the alien asks him, "Do you want to go on a trip?" To which Kevin declines the invitation. He felt that the time was not right, and you know, I can respect a man that knows his limits when he's going <laughs> through this shit and he's and he's being given options. I respect that. Right, but in a way he's already going on a trip. I mean, he's already going somewhere he's in the craft right yeah so yeah lord knows where that craft is right now i don't know i know i know but it was like no i I, you better take me back yeah Yeah. but i love how polite these guys are would you like to see your home planet would you like to go on a trip yeah they seem to be polite i mean they did do some stuff to him while he was blacked out but i mean they could have done that for his own benefit because it's probably frightening as shit and, I mean, we've right. covered the frightening as shit stuff on this podcast. I mean, the last time you were on here, it was pretty goddamn frightening, you know. Yeah, uh, that, that Allagash bullshit? Come yeah. on, man. Those guys got roughed up. Yeah, they did. And, I mean, they continue to get roughed up for, like, the rest of their lives. And Yeah, and those aliens didn't sound like, oh, would you like us to take a sperm sample? Right. <laughs> they were just They were just doing it. They were just, like, you know, g- grabbing their junk and getting to work. Yeah, exactly. Like, in, instead, these aliens were appearing in one of these guys' dreams saying, please stop going to get hypnosis done. I don't want people to know about this. Oh, my God. It's so fucking crazy. It's like, look, aliens either make us forget or don't. Yeah. But it always seems they're about halfway successful. You, you, you forget a lot of it, but you remember enough, and then you remember more. And it's like, really? You you. If it's that important, either we don't remember or we do remember. Right. When it comes to the encounters themselves and what the aliens have control over, the one thing that they don't seem to have control over nine times out of ten is what they end up remembering, how they end up remembering it. Like, they have no mastery over the human brain. They don't. And yet this appears to be one of the most important things they're always trying to do. Make you not remember. Yeah. Right. In fact, I love how what they do next because they have a way of making him not remember. Yeah, exactly. So uh, we never get a peek behind the curtain of how they 
cause people to suffer from amnesia or whatever it is that they are suffering from. But the being then states to him that he has to forget this encounter happened. So the being hands him a glass that was three quarters full of a yellow liquid that would supposedly make him forget everything. And Kevin was not happy about this. He's like, no, like, yeah, it was frightening at first, but this, you know, this was pretty pleasant. You know, there's yeah. some pleasant stuff here. The The conversation's nice. I'm, I'm down with that. But, uh, <laughs> but the being was insistent. No, you got to forget this. But Kevin, in his own kind of protest, he took just like three short sips of this liquid and then he just placed the glass on a nearby table. Right. In the next moment, he's back on North Canal Road. He's waking up and clenching his keys. That's where we're at here. Right, but we never find out what that stuff in the glass tastes like. And that's no. what I want to know. I'm getting all Joshua Cutchins about this now. I want to know I want to know exactly what flavor that was. Yeah, like man, yellow liquid and you're just like uh, like most of the time, you know, with liquids I, I'm kind of hoping that it tasted like orange juice, maybe, you know, or something like that, just a little bit. Or maybe, like, a margarita. Yeah. What about a mimosa, you know? Like a, oh, a nice, yeah. A nice mimosa. Uh, the, like, I'm, I'm going to go forth thinking that the aliens gave him a mimosa. Yeah, me too. I think I like that. I like because everything else about his encounter was kind of pleasant and not too hardcore, which is a good way to explain what a mimosa is in, in sort of the range of cocktails. Yeah, like if you could explain a mimosa through uh, an alien abduction, we just did it. We uh, Yeah. Yeah. This uh, was the mimosa encounter. This is the, yeah, that's what we're going to call it. That's the title for this episode, the mimosa encounter. Uh, fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it wasn't it wasn't a boiler maker. It wasn't an Irish car bomb. It wasn't no. a uh, you know. Thank God it wasn't sex on the beach. You know, it was uh, it was a mimosa encounter. Yeah, it wasn't like yeah. If it was a sex on the beach, it would be like a David Huggins kind of situation here. And you know, <laughs> that is what it is. It's yeah. got its own category, you know, him, Antonio V.S. Boas, and uh, Peter Curry. Yeah, they're kind of hanging out in that spot right now. Yeah, that's their area. That's, yep. that's a whole different kind of encounter. Yep, but the rest of this trip kind of just plays out normally for him. He meets up with his buddies the next day to do some fishing, and he just kind of decides that he's not really going to tell anybody. And then... You know, 13 years later, he tells this story to Martin Jassick. And Martin was actually able to track down one of the guys that he went fishing with. It's a guy named Doug. And he confirmed that, you know, he did indeed go fishing out at that time. And uh, he essentially vouched for Kevin's character, said, you know, he's a pretty upstanding guy that wouldn't lie right. and all that stuff. So it's unclear at this point if he had further interactions with alien beings. I think this account went on the website in 2004 so it's unclear you know if he has had any further encounters with these beings but it's one of those weird and odd abduction accounts that's obscure it just sits on the internet and you know uh years later two guys are talking about it on a podcast yeah well he he does not seem particularly traumatized by it 
No. Um, and and he uh, I do like when he talks about kind of wrestling with the notion of whether he should talk about it because he he kind of feels like the implication was that he should not be talking about it. But he, but he wanted to because he wanted to share it with other people. He it was only after the encounter that he began doing UFO research in the way that you and I do it and began to learn, oh, it's not just me. There's, uh, there's a lot of people have similar experiences. Um, and uh, and then he didn't feel so bad. And, and, and so it's funny, like, there's a moment where the aliens have a lot of control over you, but ultimately they do not have total control. You're allowed to talk about it and share the experience I mean, obviously, people have, even the ones who are told not to, they do anyway. And it's not like the aliens come down and kill them before they do it, you know. So um, it, it, it almost, I don't know, it, somehow maybe the aliens do kind of want some of this to come out. Yeah, it kind of seems like, you know, they, they want the word out there, you know, this stuff, it's happening, you know, it, it's it's taking place, it is what it is, we're doing what we're doing, you could talk about it, don't talk too much about it, you know, because sometimes they'll just come back and say, stop talking about it, but, you know, in in this case, it, it seems like they were alright with them taking just three quick sips and going back, uh, it, it seems like in many ways... When the aliens talk about wanting them to forget, it's more for their own good, for their own mental health in a way. They almost seem concerned with their the experiencer's mental health in many ways. Oh, yeah, maybe that's it. Maybe it's like this will be it'll it'll freak you out too much. So we're just we needed to do what we needed to do. But it's better if you just don't think about it. Just forget about it and go on with your life. Yeah, yeah, exactly, and I mean, seemingly, he probably has lived a normal life, it's, it's no telling, you know, what his experience beyond that has been, but, you know, it's still here, it's it's still a story, and God damn it, we told it, Rich. Well, you know, and the alien encounters are the only ones that I know of where people are given an instruction as to what to do with it, like, like... In a near-death experience, as far as I know, no one ever comes back feeling like either A, I was told to t talk about this as much as possible and to tell everyone about it, or conversely, well, I came back, I had this near-death experience, I was told not to talk about it, but I'm talking about it anyway. Ghosts, UFOs, um, you know, uh, fairy encounters, different encounters, I never, th this does not seem to be an element of anything other than alien encounters yeah I, I agree they're just cool with things man for the most part just cool I, with, cool with I a lot guess. of things I, yeah. I, I, I guess the aliens feel like the, 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 the stuff we really need you not to remember is still hidden which typically seems to be stuff like the answer to the universe of course we know that the uh answer to that is 42 so oh. i mean that's that's not a mystery anymore we, we got the <laughs> douglas answer. adams was the only one to remember that one last bit of information i firmly believe that douglas adams was an alien because that man could craft a sentence in ways that nobody has been able to craft sentences <laughs> well the other thing is is maybe the vast majority of people who are abducted don't remember it and it's only this really like 1% of people 
who come through and tell the stories. And, and, and the entirety of every alien abduction story we have is like 1% of, of the number of people or less who actually have been encountered, I'm sorry, abducted, who don't remember, remember the encounter at all. So maybe that's, that's it. Yeah, that, that could be it. This is the uh, very minuscule percentage of people that are fortunate enough to remember their encounters. And, right. and I hope that causes a bunch of sleepless nights for a lot of people listening to this out there. Because now you're going to live with the question, has this happened to me? And you're not going to know. Right. Well, you know, when they do, when they study the near-death experience, uh, they'll say, uh, and they've, they've, they've done these where it's like, well... You know, uh, in this hospital over these three years, uh, a, a certain number of people clinically died and then came back, but only like 12% of them report having a near-death experience. So does that mean, and some people have suggested this, that it's only 12% who remember the near-death experience, like like the number of people who remember their dreams. It's like, well, you guys remember it but you all had it, but the majority don't remember it, and just a small majority, a minority, do remember it. So maybe it's like that. Yeah, that could be. I, I do have a podcasting friend whose dad had a near-death experience. Oh, really? Yes, uh, and they talked about it on their podcast. They actually interviewed, he actually interviewed his dad. Uh, so it's definitely something you should listen to. It's episode 16 of the What If podcast. My buddy uh, Spencer Worth Davis actually interviewed his dad about it and it was uh, it's, it's a really fascinating conversation you should well, definitely excellent. listen to I'll, it i'll listen to it because again you know we're we're, we're in a, a golden age of uh, not only uh making podcasts but of listening to podcasts because it's something you can do alone while washing your hands that's right and you better be washing your hands vigorously okay they're telling you to wash your hands for 20 seconds no i work in in the healthcare field you wash your hands for 45 seconds you lather those things up for 25 seconds making sure that you got all your hands covered and that it's had time to you know kill what's ever on your hands and then you rinse them off for about 15 to 20 seconds so wait you a second right. okay uh, wait, okay, now we're getting good information. Finally, some useful information on this podcast. Yeah. Okay, now let's <laughs> let's review. Okay. All right. So, so you 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 get your soap and you 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 get your hands wet. You lather up. Now you yeah. can turn the water off, is what you're saying, and just lather up for 45 seconds. The the water doesn't need to be running into the sink. Is that right? No, no. You need to have the water running. So the first thing that you need to do is you need to hit the handle. That water's got to be on. Next thing you got to do, you got to, you know, just wet those hands up a little bit. Just a tiny bit. You don't need a lot of water there. And uh, then... Uh, uh, professor, I have a question. Yes. Does the water need to be hot? Uh, no, it can just be warm. Because oh, okay. it's, the, it's the soap that's doing the job. Okay. So... Then you get you get the soap on your hands and you lather them up. And the thing is, is you got to make sure that you're hitting every areas because most of the times you're gonna just think, "Oh, I hit my palms." You got to make sure you got the palms, the back of your hand, right in between your fingers, and then you got to make sure that around your thumbs that you got them. And you'll also need to get your fingernails. So what we normally do is we kind of bring our fingers together and we squish them together in our palm. So, oh. yeah. And then uh, you also want to make sure that you kind of get the edge of your wrist. Oh, all the way down to like uh, the uh, where you wear your Fitbit. Yeah, exactly. And then you rinse that off 15 to 20 seconds and you're good to go. 
So you got to rinse for 15 or 20 seconds. Now, that I've heard you're supposed to sing the happy birthday song twice, but if you don't like that song, is there a better 45-second song you can do, uh, like maybe the, uh, the theme song from Friends? You know, you could do the theme song from Friends. You could sing All Star by Smash Mouth. You can sing... Uh... Oh, that's right. Hey, now, you're yeah. an all star. Yeah, okay. exactly. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, Get exactly. your game on, get paid. Oh, I like that. Okay, that's good. Yeah, so, you know, these are all effective ways of making sure your hands get washed. Oh, I, yeah. I, I might, I, considering my taste in music, I might do uh, God Save the Queen by the Sex Pistols. That's a, that's a good one. You could do that, definitely. You know, in that loud, snarling British, you know, God Save that Queen. Yeah, exactly. You could put as much snarl as you want on that. The fascist regime. <laughs> You're getting it, man. You're getting it. You can also, uh, I think one of the first memes to come out uh, when they really started promoting uh, your hands, getting, you know, washing your hands was uh, the monologue from Dune by Frank Herbert. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that is bizarre. Uh, it's bizarre, but you know what? It works too. You can, you can adapt it to a lot of things. I guess whatever you think you can do with your hands, it takes 45 seconds and let's not make any comments. Uh, you do that while you're washing your hands. There you That's go. That's right. That's right. So, all right, good. Well, now, now we got, now see now, now this becomes very timely and now there's like a public service announcement. You got, you, you know exactly how to wash your hands. You know, not to lick the UFO. Don't this lick is, UFOs. This, this yeah. is like a like a personal hygiene podcast, if if, if anything. Yeah, uh, make sure that you're coughing into your elbow as best you can. Now, does it have? I've always wondered. Now, on that one, now it's got to be your own elbow. Yes, you cannot use the elbow of somebody else. It has to be your own elbow. But you can choose. You you have two options, left or right. You know, and that's that's totally your choice. Oh, got it, got it. Okay, so you do. Okay, so there's an option. Got it. Yep. Um, make sure, you know, social distancing, make sure you're six feet away from people, you know, and, and I mean, like, don't, if you're, you know, maintaining that distance, don't scare people by coughing, you know, just try to do it as, as, as quietly as you can. And I know that's not an easy thing, but you know, don't, don't, don't cough your heads off. That's just going to scare people. Now, Rob, you're a scientist. Um, is is that what we're doing here? Is... <laughs> you're, you're an expert on science. Okay. Um, so now I heard uh, that that a cough can linger in the air for three hours. It hangs it, in the air for three hours. Is that true? It it can linger in the air for a while. I don't know if it's necessarily three hours, but uh, yeah, the. Uh, the thing about COVID-19 is that it is an airborne illness, so it's transmitted through droplets in the air. So that it's very easy to catch, kind of like uh, a cold or the flu, but uh, it can linger a little bit. But it's not going to linger in the air for three hours. It's going to come down. Okay. It's going to hit. It's going to hit some surface at some point. Ew. Yeah. So then, then, then you got to disinfect. Oh boy. Yes. Yep. So, so, okay. So, but you don't know anyone at the hospital or the, uh, the, uh, old folks home where you work, or you, you don't know of anyone who's, who's got it or who's suffering with it right now. No, there's only two reported cases in the County I live in right now. Okay. Cause it's, it's not 
really heavily populated. No, is not, that it? not. Yeah. I mean, the, the areas of New York where I live, the, the areas that are heavily hit are more down South New York city. Um, I think, uh, the closest to me that kind of has a, a rising number is Saratoga County. And that's a few hours away, but most of, uh, what's happening in New York is more concentrated to the South. Okay, so uh, I'm in Los Angeles. It's today is March 28th, mm-hmm. and everything I hear is that like two weeks from now, you're going to be hearing a lot more about Los Angeles. Very well could be. Very yeah. well could be. Yeah. Um. And yeah, I don't. You know, every everyone I know seems okay. No reported cases of anyone I know. Although in Brentwood, which is where my uh, my boss on Titans lives, he uh, there's like a Brentwood cluster of like you know, like most of the cases in L.A. right now are in Brentwood, which is a it's not by Santa Monica, but sort of a uh, it's sort of like the Beverly Hills by the ocean. It's uh, it's a very you know nice area, wealthy homes. Uh, so, so for some reason there's a big cluster there, but, um, I, I, from what I hear in about two weeks, LA is going to be the story or, or, or one of many, I guess, I guess, uh, I guess we'll just see how it shakes out in the United States, man. But, uh, well, we should uh, check in, you know, you, yeah. we, we, we just, uh, you know, keep an eye. If I, if, if, you know, if I've got a problem, get in touch with you immediately. Yeah. Uh, vice versa. Like everybody just, uh, keep an eye out for everybody be there for people and uh we're gonna we're gonna get through this stay safe stay Mm -hmm. stay distant uh listen to podcasts wash your hands and take it easy on the toilet paper you know i think we're we're fine on the toilet paper right yep i'm good on the toilet paper i don't i don't need to go out and and you know snatch up like 70 rolls uh you're fine don't don't hoard supplies people like leave the gloves leave the masks for medical personnel who need them right yeah exactly leave it for people that are in uh the line of work that need it um and and you know what else rich you know what else people need to do what they need to they need to they need to just go outside for a second and and look up because you never know what you'll find in our strange skies i love it i'm gonna do that yes absolutely in gray we trust Beautiful. Yeah.